This is a production of the Hardway HQ Podcasting Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick and John live in New Jersey proudly present to you the inaugural edition of the NJU, a podcast detailing the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe here on HardwayHQ.com. I'm John Harder here in the Hardway HQ attic loft, still being worked on in beautiful Jackson NJ, and across from me via the Zoomosphere. Uh, we're beaming the the satellite, which is actually Cosmic, the McDonald Land character, and is going straight down to Casa del Regatta with the one, the only sick Nick himself, Nicholas F. Regatta. Nick, welcome to the NJU. Oh, I- I'm so glad that we're finally, you know, doing this because we kind of talked like on and off about doing a, po- a podcast like this for like. At this point, like I'd say, like damn near a year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we, when it came to this like podcast idea, we've done a bunch of you know side podcasts that we've done. We've done the uh, cruiserweight check, uh, which was a de- like the the episodic review of the cruiserweight classic from WWE back in 2016. Uh, we've done 2001: A Strange Wrestling Odyssey. We were in the middle of doing 2019: A Strange Wrestling Odyssey too. And we'll pick and that we one back up. It's eventually in time. I definitely think. I, I, plus, you know, like like that. I feel like we could probably transfer that over to uh, this uh, RSS feed, which it's everyone's hearing this is on. Um, but the one thing that, and we also did No Close Fist, which we're going to be definitely be doing an episode follow-up episode especially since AEW is doing a lot of stuff with the pure championship from ring of honor so i think it's an intriguing look but when it came to this podcast in particular um in many senses this is you could probably say this is more version of what a hardliner uh the hardliner really brought this all out the hardliner is something where uh we start in the early days of our podcast where nick basically wanted me to expand my horizon or I'm trying to think of the way he put it back in the day. Let's see if I can remember like try new years things. Ago. You, I want, I wanted you yeah. to try new things because in a lot of ways, you know, you, it was like a creature of habit kind of situation where, you know, you had your games, you played your songs, you listened to your movies, you watched, you were kind of not set in stone, but you kind of had a, a firm, like, I would say like guideline for how you did things. Yes. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I believe you said we want to expand your palate. And, and then that's a very true uh, statement that you made because you were just like, look, you, we want, I want you to, you know, not be like you said, be in that box. So I, I started watching television pilots and I sort of watch or listening to, to music and the infamous Kanye West argument that's <laughs> on our RSS feed, like checking out, just checking out new things and not being so uh, insular, I think's the word. Um, yeah, that that's pretty spot on in terms of, and well, because we knew people like that. We kind of still, in certain circumstances, mm-hmm. know people like that. So you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, I, I I didn't want, I didn't think you needed to go that route. I feel like I felt like you could be better served by having like, you know, these new horizons, you know, set for you. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent agreed. And, and I, and I thank you for that because I think it kind of kickstarted where my life is now, where, you know, I love experiencing new food and new um, movies. And, and the, the main thing would have been the Marvel cinematic universe. And I'm not necessarily a, a virgin as it comes to the MCU. I mean, I've watched a couple of the movies in theaters, um, Thor yeah. and the Avengers and we Nick a, actually. Yeah. yeah, we did a whole episode where we t- we went to go watch a, an MCU film together. Doctor Strange, the first one. And uh, I remember that it's actually available in the archives. We're looking to still switch it over. We're getting all the information ready so you can check that out. Um, but 
I was able, thanks to Nick, thanks to Nick, to to do that. And over time, you know, life got busy, and then a pandemic here or there, and I thought I would never be able to fully capture the MCU. I thought it was too late. And then, uh, you know, besides Nick, then I met my 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 wife, my beautiful wife, who loves the the MCU. And since we've been together, I mean, every movie, Marvel movie that's come out, I've went with her to the theaters to watch. Um, the Eternals, Doctor Strange, um, the Master of the Multiverse. I probably got that wrong. In the um, Multiverse of Madness. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there was that. Um, also saw, um, I also watched a couple of the Marvel movies with her. Uh, Sha- not, it's not Shang-Li. Um, Shang-Chi. Shang- there you go. Shang-Chi, which surprisingly popped me. And the one that I really surprisingly liked, because it was very unlike any other Marvel movie I saw, was uh, Thor Love and Thunder. And when I'm telling Nick about all this stuff, you know, prior to my summer vacation, as I like to say, um, we were talking about it. Nick goes, we should really start, we should do a podcast with you watching every movie in the MCU. And it might take us a while, but we will do it. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time to do it. And I knew once I came back, I knew that's this is one of the podcasts that I definitely wanted to do. Uh, the NJU, the Nick and John universe, which is obviously a play on MCU. And it's also, it's also it, it plays well with our audience because, you know, in a lot of ways for anybody who's listening along and maybe going through the films themselves, you know, it's an experience for Nick, John and you. <laughs> Great marketing. I'm actually really impressed with that. That's a tremendous marketing thing. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm popping right now. That really got me. Um, that was awesome. And it's true, you know, and, and I think it's exciting because um, for those that might be listening for the first time, Nick is a diehard, you know, comic book superhero guy more than anyone I've ever met. He knows top to bottom you know, every superhero in my mind that's ever existed and from from Marvel, DC, independent brands. Nick Nick knows his stuff and he's top notch with it and loves movies. So this is right in his wheelhouse. And for me, as we've alluded to earlier, I kind of was a little insular, but I was a wrestling nerd and I completely missed out on a lot of these things that came out when it did. So now with everything being said the way it is, uh it's it's time for us to actually go into that universe and start at the very beginning. Yeah, I gotta go back, John. Back you know, I don't to have, the beginning. <laughs> back to the beginning of when it all happened. And sadly, this time I don't have the actual time machine uh, that I did in Hardway HQ Studios back in South River. However, I do have Disney Plus. Yes. So we were I was able to go and stream it. And I remember just sitting down and it actually took it actually took two nights because I started it. Well, when I watched Iron Man one, it was in the middle of summer, probably around July. Um, and I watched I watched one night. Um, and then I, we got up to the scene where he was going to make his reappearance in the world after taking time away for um, obviously a mental break on his end. Uh, Tony Stark. And we stopped, and then when we got back to it, we I went right back in and finished the movie the next yeah. day. And I, I thought that was funny yeah. too, like because like uh, you started watching around that time, and then that's when my girlfriend Dritz and I we started like right around <laughs> the summers when we started going through the MCU in like you know ostensibly for my refresher for this podcast, but then also it just became like a nice bonding thing for us too because uh whereas i had watched a majority of the mcu movies she had only watched a few as well so she's like uh it was kind of like having a uh almost like how would i put it like uh prep like my prep in discussing the mcu was like discussing it with her because she has like you know like she had superhero fatigue when it came to the movies so she kind of trailed off yeah so like it in a way it was kind of good because it got me prepped in terms of you know being fresh with the knowledge and talking being able to talk to people who maybe weren't as well versed in like the mythos as i was so in a lot of ways it gave me my like uh refresher course before we started this 
which I love. I love I love that you know you you're getting right back into it and you just you're right along for the ride too, and that's awesome. And I do have to ask this, and it's going to be the process as we go along with the NJU. Um, is there going to be any Marvel fatigue? You think for me as it comes to watching these movies, um, you know, building up to throughout this podcast, you think I'm going to go through any of the fatigue for Marvel I that mean, you just mentioned? You, I think it's possible, but I also think that as we get into it and we discuss them, there'll be a lot of opportunities for you to sort of learn in a way like be, mm-hmm. you'll be able to, I, I've found that even with uh, Jaritza, like she starts to notice some of the continuity ties, you know what I mean? Okay. In some of the later yeah. movies and she starts to get a pop for when like, she sees things that get paid off and stuff. You know what I mean? So you got to think about it this way. A lot of stuff that you're going to see in some, even just this first movie of everything. And I'm not even just talking about what happens at the very, very end, which we'll get into, but uh, like there's little tits, uh, like little tidbits and pieces here that, that will get paid off in, in future movies. Which is very true with the Marvel Cinematic. If you, if, especially nowadays, you know, seeing how nobody, I think everybody's been conditioned not to leave during the credits at the end of every Marvel movie because there's always little tidbits leading to something else. And it, it builds to like that future moment. And I, I've seen that over the past few movies. Like it's, it's building to that point, yeah. which I, I find. Yeah. Go home. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Great. I love it. I love I love it, Bueller. I, I so, find that sometimes people forget that post credit scenes <laughs> like existed already, like oh. because in a lot of ways Marvel just sort of like opens up, re, like re, like put it like put it back on the map as a storytelling technique. And you're right, they they've conditioned an entire audience. But we're gonna we're gonna get to why that is when John, we're going back to 2008. It's uh, the summer of what was going to become a massive economic downturn that not a lot of people expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's let's say that there's going to be some uh, financial issues for some uh, sports team that's very close to you. Uh, the only team to make money off the Bernie Madoff scam in 2008. Yes, it was the New York Mets. <laughs> the Will Ponzi's, as I like to call them now. They're not in power anymore. Um, but around, and I, I kind of want to explain where, I think it would be cool to talk about where my, where I was when this movie came out. Because I think it's intriguing why I would miss the beginning of something great. 2008 was probably the first full year of being enamored and involved with the pro wrestling business, you know, paying my dues, going to every wrestling show I could go to, going to all the wrestling trainings, uh, practices uh, in Union City. And I was going with Dan Murdoch and the Scanlon brothers uh, every, every, you know, if I was going at least once a week, I was going, you know, twice a week. And I was going on Saturdays. Every other Saturday was uh, an action zone taping. So I was in Amber with pro wrestling. I had the, I had the bug, you know, I had, I had that sickness and I, I and while, Eddie and Tommy and, and to a lesser extent, Ben, I, I don't know. I got, I'm not sure about Ben actually, but I know, but Eddie and Tommy, they always had their ability to watch the, the Marvel movie, like, like all the Marvel movies, all the movies they would normally, Oh, they still made time to go do that. Well, I was so enamored with pro wrestling that I would just eat, breathe and sleep wrestling in such an unhealthy way. So I missed out on so much, including this movie, Iron Man one, it wasn't called Iron Man 1, but it's the first Iron Man movie. Um, and believe it or not, I actually do have the Wikipedia page open, but I'm not going to read what the movie's about. I want to I I keep that. I, I do believe that when it comes to that situation, I don't blame you. Because you have to understand, yeah. the, in the few, last few years before you know Iron Man came out, there were some hits and misses when it came to comic book films. Especially yep. ones that had Marvel-based characters. Like, I still have a soft spot for some of these movies, but not everyone's a fan of Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider or Spider-Man 3 or even Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. And that was just in the last 
the last year before this came out. You also had, you know, Electra and X-Men The Last Stand. So I, I think for a lot of people, Marvel, like comic movies and Marvel in particular was probably kind of leaving a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. So when they hear about this Iron Man movie, let's be honest with ourselves, Iron Man wasn't necessarily a household name when it came to Marvel properties. I f- like the last thing Iron Man had been in that had his name on it was an early to mid 90s uh, syndicated cartoon show. Yes. With uh, if I remember correctly, he was voiced by uh, the same actor who brought us Ted Stryker from the airplane movies. Oh, wow. Man, that that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't so even... It's like Iron Man wasn't. Iron Man wasn't in the same field as, say, a Spider-Man or even to a lesser degree, you know, the X-Men or or a Hulk. He wasn't like as well established. So in a lot of ways, I don't think a lot of people necessarily went into this with high expectations, but probably really what they should have been really looking at, but they probably didn't think anything of it was the fact that Marvel, at this point, was making their own movies now. Which is true. I've heard, I heard this story. I think it was 2005, I believe, Marvel Studios actually bought the rights back for their uh, licensing films, uh, for the license for their filming. Yeah. Um, if you remember, you know, for me, the Marvel movie, which I didn't know was a Marvel movie at the time until years later, was the Leah Thompson-led Howard the Duck, and that is universally panned as one of the worst movies of all time. Some say ruined Leah Thompson's career, which I think is a little much. I, she did a lot of great stuff after that movie. Um, but that, that to me was always, especially when it came to Marvel, um, and I know you just mentioned the Spider-Man movies, which was a Sam Raimi dream, and we always joke about on the our podcast, so at least I joke about how the rumor was J. Jonah Jameson was going to be the villain in Spider-Man four. If there was, it was going to be made, Um, you know, it, it, you know, Marvel, you know, X-Men, but X-Men was never really, you know, the cartoon was always beloved more than the actual movie. In my opinion, Marvel, you know, really Marvel never really controlled any of this stuff. They just licensed everything. You know what I mean? mm -hmm. So they, they, they gave out, they basically, they took a, a sum of money ahead of time in order for other organizations to do what they would with their IP. So Marvel decided to take a, well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, a huge risk in terms of they got back as many of the rights as they could to, uh, you know, existing franchises that weren't like currently making films, Iron Man included. And they took a whole, they took a massive loan out. And I'm talking this loan, if they hadn't paid it out, would have basically saw them forfeiting licensing rights to their characters outright. Jeez Louise. So, like I said, huge gamble. And, you know, so they're making the movies. But now they, they also, they can't. They can't necessarily afford to distribute them too. So, you know, they try to f- see who might bite. They they try to offer it up to Universal because Universal has the rights to the Hulk. And uh, at the time, I believe Namor, the Submariner, <clears throat> who's uh, basically Marvel's Aquaman. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And uh, I think they also tried to see if Sony might want to get in on the ground floor. And Sony also kind of was like, pshaw, away with you. (laughs) So the only studio that kind of gave them sort of a lucrative enough deal was Paramount, Paramount Studios. The mountain decided decided to take a a risk on this one. So we go into 2008 and you got Iron Man. It's the start of Marvel going into business for themselves. Uh, with a uh, not untested director, but maybe his first real blockbuster, the the uh, uh, great John Favreau, who I love 
from, you know, in his short stint in Rudy when he's going, who's the wild man now in the stands as Rudy makes the sack in the stadium. And, uh, uh, he was also in, uh, um, uh, what the fuck, uh, what's the name of that movie? Uh, not this is 40, the one with Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd. Um, the, the Judd Apatow movie. I love you, man. Yes. I love you, man. With Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk, which which is funny. John Favreau um, had been in a lot of great stuff. And he'd also had some pretty decent turns as a director, like uh, Zathura, which was that uh, Jumanji spinoff. Yeah. And uh, so, like, you know, he it was interesting that they kind of went with an actor who kind of already had some Marvel credibility because, of course, he played uh, Foggy Nelson in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. So he was... Uh, Familiar with a lot of the players in the background, like the uh, C, uh, CEO of Marvel Studios was at the time, uh, bef- right before uh, Iron Man, was uh, Avi Arad, who had also worked with Sony on the uh, Spider-Man films up to that point. So, like, you know, John Favreau kind of, this was in his wheelhouse. But the interesting point when it came to Iron Man was probably the fact that the casting was actually very inspired. Yes, it was. And you look who's in this movie. I'm not going to go into Iron Man yet and who played him, uh, but the side pieces were, were great. And I will have a question in the second movie as it comes to one of the actors uh, that are not in Iron Man 2, but Terrence Howard is, is, current, is Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes. Yeah. Um, my my personal love, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who was was uh, Pepper Potts, um, the the lovable, uh, like you know, love interest slash you know, assistant to Tony Stark, and Jeff freaking Bridges played Obadiah Stein. Stain. Yeah, ah, you got it. You got it in there. You I, got there at the end. That's all that matters. I Obadiah Stane, which was the right-hand man behind Stark Industries and who also um, who also was, you know, the, he, knew, he knew Tony Stark's father, yeah. uh, Howard Stark. And the man of the hour, and I, I actually just read about this leading up to everything. Originally, John Favreau, from what I just what I've learned, did did not initially have the man who ultimately became Iron Man in mind. He had he wanted to use a not a no name kind of actor yeah, for this movie. He was movie. trying to go for an unknown, which makes sense. A lot of superhero movies in the past have gotten away with that. I mean, Christopher Reeves was basically a virtual unknown around the time of Superman, so like it, it has history. And uh, also speaking of Iron Man too. Uh, another actor who would show up in that was actually originally lined up to be Tony Stark in the form of Sam Rockwell. Yes, sir. Uh, Sam Rockwell, which would have been really interesting if he would have played Iron Man. And I find it ironic that his his girlfriend, a very long term girlfriend, Leslie Bibb, was in that movie as the uh, journalist of uh, the, the, the the I think magazine journalist uh, in in the movie. Yeah. And and which is interesting, but. And I know Paramount and I believe Avi Arad both were very um, they made they made like overtures to try to get Tom Cruise for the role. I don't know. I don't know how I feel the same exact way. I'm not sure how that would have worked, but I know they sent feelers his way and he wasn't interested. Mostly just because, like, he wasn't going to have the level of control that he's used to in his movies. Absolutely. But there is only one man who got the job, and it's because of his incredible screen test. And after the tumultuous life that this man led leading up to Iron Man, it is a modern miracle. Not only he went to play the role, the fact that he was a, he's alive. You know, and all the issues that he had, he was, in, he was addicted to drugs, he was in jail, he, he had a, li- a lifestyle as a party animal, a party boy. And he somehow at this point came to mellow out and take on the role of a lifetime and become basically the face of the MCU. 
in many senses of the word on, a, on an actual actor uh, uh, basis. The one, the only Robert Downey Jr. Yes. And that was a massive gamble on John Favreau's part. I mean, he was right in that in so many ways, Robert Downey Jr. is sort of a real life Tony Stark in that he is a person who is well regard like well known throughout the world and had very tumultuous lifestyle with drugs and alcohol. He kind of lived a Tony Stark life in so many ways. So he kind of embodied the role. And so he took a lot, uh, you know, to get, you know, Rob Downey Jr. on this, like he had to front cash for like insurance purposes in order to, you know, uh, like, because the studio wouldn't, like, cover Robert Downey Jr. being in this because they had no faith in it. Like, screen test or no screen test, they didn't care. So, like, Robert Downey Jr. had to take a significant cut in terms of his pay for this film. In fact, if I remember correctly, Terrence Howard was the mo- the highest paid actor in this film. Which is wild when you think about it, because uh, he wasn't at the level of Empire yet. Um, yeah, he was making... He- I yeah. think he was hustle. I think he was past hustle and flow at this point, though. Okay. I All think. right. Well, that's all I'm thinking sure. of. Yeah. So, like, he wow. had he had enough notoriety on his name that he could like get the number that he was looking for. But let's just say that after this movie, um, his bargaining power was not nearly as high as he thought it would be. Yeah. Which is, again, it's insane to me because it is Robert Downey Jr. And you think about everything that's happened after this movie came out and how strong of a, of a, of a persona he had. But in this movie, and like you said, there's a lot riding on, you know, just from building this thing up until we get to the actual flick itself. Um, the, the, the ability of how much money was fronted on, how much money was fronted for this movie. You know, how they had to get the rights, how... The, the Robert Downey Jr. incident. It's all building to it's it's either it's literally either make or break within the realm of, of the Marvel universe on 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 film. Yeah, basically it's made by or, Marvel. It's, it's hook or crook for Marvel producing their own material, like making their own movies. So, you know, I guess with the stage set, John, you know, being the I wouldn't say the layman because you know you do know somewhat like about the the characters we're discussing but i'd like to hear you your overview tell me about (laughs) iron man what happened in iron man okay now i want to let everyone know that i do not i am terrible with characters i am not good at names i will forget a lot of the characters in this movie and i am now looking at wikipedia to do it is all up the top of the noggin. So um, this is going to be, it might be a little all over the place, but I know Nick will fill in the points where I, 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 I missed or whatnot, but this is how I interpreted what I saw in Iron Man. I could basically describe it starting off like this. Um, it starts off in the, in the deserts of Afghanistan. And for, for those that weren't around in 2007, 2008, you know, Afghanistan was kind of a, a place. It's kind of based off real life in many senses. The, the United States were in the, the midst of a long war in Afghanistan due to what happened on September 11th and the United States going after Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, you got soldiers over there and, and you know, Stark Industries was a weapons distributor. So Tony Stark uh, being played by Robert Downey Jr. was the face of Stark Industries which his father had created all the years ago and his father passed away. So Stark was the playboy, billionaire, philanthropist, uh, as he's described himself as in the Avengers movie, which is later down the line. But uh, he's traveling with, with the armed forces and he's in a a cargo, in a cargo truck. And out of nowhere, it gets hit with a roadside bomb or a missile takes up the car. And Stark tries to, to get away. The armed forces tries to fight. And Stark gets taken down and gets shot in the chest. And this well, leads... He gets, 
He doesn't get shot in the chest. He takes shrapnel from one of his own missiles. That becomes a major kind of point for him in terms of like his character development is that it's one of his own missiles that gets fired up on him upon him and he takes the shrapnel to the chest. Absolutely. And I I I meant to, I meant the shrapnel not necessarily being shot in the chest with his own thing. Yeah. But we're just, but then they go yeah. No, no I'm, I'm I'm with you on that one. It's just like, you know, it's one of those points that plot points that becomes uh very important in terms of his character development. Oh, 100%. 100% because then we go when we scale back to the Stark Industries convention and Tony Stark is there and he's 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 demonstrating things and he's he's in Las Vegas and he's being the playboy. He's being a party animal. He's being um, kind of aloof in many senses. And at one point, uh, he actually goes and 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 makes love to a journalist um, who is played by Leslie Bibb. And they fool around, has her taken, you know, has her vacated out. And Stark plans on going to Afghanistan to deal with um, some of the, the the trade and whatnot. And then we go back to the situation where he's in one of the, I don't want to say a cave, but kind of like one of, he's basically being held. Well, I, I just want to, I just want to say the funny thing for, for John in terms of the fact that this was during his wrestling phase is that Tony's there to uh, debut his new Jericho missile. <laughs> Break down the walls of Jericho. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> so we get back to we get back to where his situation is now and he's being held hostage against his will and he's linked up with another another scientist um i'm gonna say he's an israeli might be he might be um another not Af- afghani but he's definitely another I, it might be from arab descent i believe i'm trying to remember and uh, it's his name's he's Ho Yinsen. Like the okay. they took that one pretty much uh from the um uh original version of the character, but they don't really elaborate, they kind of keep it vague. Which is interesting because I, I guess I got the vibe of, of him being um from Afghani descent and he was just incredibly smart and they took him as well because there was plans under 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 underway where they wanted Tony Stark's help to to help develop weapons. However, what they did not know was that Tony Tony the shrapnel that was in, you know, near uh Stark's chest was actually was actually uh uh used by this this unique thing in his chest near his heart. It helps keep the shrapnel out of his heart because if it goes into his heart, he will he will die. Yes. Essentially um, Yinsen crafted an electromagnet to keep the shrapnel in Tony's heart in place so that it couldn't move any further into like his heart and do damage to kill him. Yes. So they did that. And then they were just talking about how they want to get out of there. And I think that's anybody's plan. So instead of going and working on weapons per se, they got the tools needed for Tony, for Tony Stark. I was at Tony Khan. Uh, Tony Stark to develop a armor suit to get to blast his way out of there. And they did a pretty good job of keeping it secret. And they were working nonstop. He, he kind of got his mojo back. He kind of got his wits about him. And he, he, he basically had almost completed the suit, the prototype yeah. to what the Iron Man suit would be until. Um, Not just the, the suit. Pe- yeah. The real, the real big, the real big kind of like thing that becomes a, uh, a prominent uh, plot point is that he manages to take this technology that they have, like have a massive version of powering his uh, like factory called an arc reactor and miniaturize it to power the magnet in his chest. Which is so wild, man. I, this is, this is stuff where I, I'm amazed as a, as a country and as a world we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. You know, I I find it to be very realistic and obviously fake, but very realistic. And I'm just amazed we haven't gotten to that point yet when it came when it comes to actual uh, human health. That that's I, another I mean, thing entirely. You never know. Right? That's the beauty of like uh, that's what I like <laughs> about science fiction in general is that there's always those futurists like 
you know, Star Trek for the longest time had like touch t- touch screen technology with view screens and other things. And now we have cell phones in the hands of our pocket to do the exact similar things that they did in like the 80s and 90s. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, technology over the past 25, 30 years has been fast moving and it's been quick, you know, in a way that I never could have imagined. I don't even think we could have as a nation could have imagined. You no, know, when I was so that, when, that, when I was listening to AOL boot up, I couldn't have imagined the level of internet <laughs> connection I would have one day. You got mail. So now we get to the point where the the people holding them, the the, the terrorist camp, I, I believe it's called the Ten Rings. Yes, that is um, a play off of uh, a, a character, a villain from the comics who let me pretend to be vague as if no one knows what I'm talking about. We may encounter later on named the Mandarin mm. who you in the comics uses 10 rings with varying uh, special abilities uh, to uh, terrorize people. So like, they, I guess they were trying, they were trying not to lean into the, the whole yellow scare Asian affectation of the mandarin because in a lot of ways the mandarin was like a fu manchu ripoff uh back in the day so uh, i guess they were trying to avoid that so they turned it into this sort of background entity Hmm. that is interesting man that's that's wild and like i I love that your your knowledge has has helped me with that because there, there are a lot of things that i am not even close to knowing and, and no, since is- and I can play, I can play mild spoilers just slightly because we already kind of, we already are, have been sort of playing with mild spoilers going forward. But ironically enough, in so many ways, uh, it plays into one of the more recent movies that uh, you watched and it kind of all got paid off in Shang-Chi. Which it did. Yeah, that's a great point. That's, so it's that's like, tremendous. It just goes to show you a lot of that that continuity that even here, whether they necessarily planned it the whole way out, but there's lots of seeds that are planted in these movies. And the Marvel's credit, they, they went with it and they knew they knew in their hearts, they were going to keep going. They were going to keep going all the way through. They knew it in their heart. And that's Sometimes you got to play like that. Some don't work like super Mario movie back in 93. Mario, Luigi, you guys have to come back. <laughs> I want Leguizamo and the zombie of Bob Hoskins. Um, so, so anyways, so, so now they blast their way. Now Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Tony Stark blasts his way out. Basically beats the piss out of all the, the, the Hoskins, except for one, one, he just damaged a little bit, shot his way out with freaking with, with, with fire and, and freaking just overall power from the armor. And, you know, his associate, when I'm getting hurt and ultimately passed away, but Tony Stark actually literally put, you know, fire and just blasted his way out to the point of flying halfway as far as he can go in that suit, which is a prototype into the desert where he just crash landed. He was out. And then Rhodey, as uh, Mr. Stark likes to call him, uh, Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, actually gets rescues Tony Stark and brings him home back to America thanks to the prototype costume and it was the the action here the CGI wasn't too over the top it was actually very impressive you know seeing how it all looked and it felt very even though you you know it's a movie and you know in many senses it's fake it's kind of like for wrestling I mean, sometimes it just feels real and it feels organic and authentic and you the way can, that you can think yeah. Uh, Stan Win- the great Stan Winston, special effects uh, artist, uh, because they mixed and matched re- like in like in real life uh, special effects. A lot of these armors were created in real life. Some were metal, other versions were plastic to make them more uh, movable and for the actors to act uh, in. But like they managed to you know, blend that, that, uh, you know, computer effect with reality 
in a in a way that very was very similar like to like the 80s and 90s and that's what creates that heft and that reality that you're that you're you're discussing here absolutely i you know i didn't know that which is really intriguing and and you know the the magic behind movies i mean they're 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 unreal you know and just hearing that i never realized the effort that went into doing that uh for especially for this movie and just movies overall it's incredible and uh the one thing also about the tony stark character the way that robert downey jr plays it it feels authentic like you you kind of feel like sometimes there's a vibe you can just go off script and just talk you know like you're actually talking to the man yeah. uh robert downey jr which I, I i love it that he just engrossed himself in that role so well, you know what you know where that comes from Hmm. The script wasn't done when they started filming the movie. So what? a lot of the stuff had to be improvised. Wait, they didn't they didn't have a finished draft? Nope. They they were operating on a partially finished draft when they started shooting the film. So because yeah. of that, a lot of scenes had to be improvised. A great what and, a, I, and yeah. I'll give you a great example. Uh because it fits into where we are at the point in the movie. So that whole uh, the whole scene when Tony comes back to the States and they have that press conference. That whole mm-hmm. thing with the having the whole uh, audience uh, sit down while he was eating his burger. All of that was improvised. That is incredible. Yeah, that is the, the balls that takes to, to do that with such. With such a budget and an unfinished, that is incredible. They didn't have a finished script. Like but I said, is... by the seat of their pants, this film. Man, oh man, I'm, I'm getting more and more respect for this movie and the actors as we go along. And John Farrow, I'm getting more and more respect for these guys as we continue. So, Tony Stark at one point announces that he wants to get out of developing weapons and he wants to start saving the world instead of you know, helping in some cases in his mind, destroying people and the world with his weapons. Um, father's assistant and right-hand man, uh, Obadiah Stane, goes, that'd be bad for business, it's bad for business. And and Stark Stark's undeterred. He's like, no, we need to go this route. And Stane was like, look, take some time off, take a mental break. You know, you just came back from a traumatic experience in Afghanistan for what you went through. Um, take Take some time. Take some time to yourself. So what does Stark do instead of going back to the office and taking his time just to relax and be the, the playboy philanthropist party animal? He gets serious. He actually gets very serious and goes back to his huge spread in L.A., I believe. He was in, he's based out of Los Angeles. And he starts working on updating the prototype and basically making a foolproof Iron Man suit alongside his uh, his his. Um, AI artificial intelligence creation Jarvis. Yes, which is uh, which I love. Yes, uh, played by the uh, voiced by the great Paul Bettany, and um, a great little callback to a recurring character from the comic books, uh, Edwin Jarvis, who is like the head butler of Avengers Mansion in the in the comic books. So that was like their nice little way of playing on it and who knows we might just encounter this uh, ai's namesake at some point down the line can't wait cannot wait for that so on, on top of that uh mr regatta how am i doing so far am i doing all right am You're i, doing am I great, doing man. A- i'm really enjoying it all right cool so that's what i make sure so from this point you know pepper potts who is his assistant and who definitely has a crush on him you know and who, who wouldn't i i think i fell in love with Tony Stark by the end of this movie. I think I actually might have a man crush on Downey Jr. Uh, because of this. Uh, true story. Um, he he starts relying on her a little bit to help out, but she's not really sure on what's going on. It's kind of like that, you know, in and out type thing when it comes to his plans. And ultimately, he develops a brand new suit. But as, as it comes along, that journalist kind of implies that his weapons are being or were I don't want to say stolen because they I don't think they were stolen, but they were being sold to uh, the terrorists in Afghanistan to use against 
civilians in other countries. They were like kind of like the uh, how do I put this? Ostensibly, ostensibly, even though he said that they they're done dealing with like you know selling weapons, the weapons are still somehow getting out to the terrorists. So it's basically like he's put on high alert that something is up. So he starts thinking about what's going on. He's trying to de- decipher what, what's happening. And he he actually has Pepper go into the Stark Industries offices and and tries to find out going on going on to his personal computer. No, not his personal computer, an Obadiah Stane's computer. And she finds out that he is making deals with the terrorists to sell money. And as it turned out, Stane actually had Stark ambushed and kidnapped to kill him so he could take over the company. However, they wouldn't do it since um, I'm trying to remember what the essentially, essentially they felt like this was like a double cross from Stan. So they tried to hold him for ransom and to get him to develop weapons for them, you know, so that they could, uh, you know, make the most out of having the great Tony Stark in their possession. And, uh, so while this is happening uh, in terms of the espionage in the background, Tony's also going out with his armor and taking down the terrorists. Which is why. So he makes the suit and he decides to travel his ass back to Afghanistan to finish the job, which he does successfully, mind you. But on his way back, the U.S. government thinks of the, the Iron Man as as a villain, as not one of them. And they have F2, F-22 fighters going after him, trying to take him down, trying to kill Tony Stark, not knowing it's Stark, because Iron Man still is an identity to the world. No one knows what the hell or who the hell Iron Man is. Well, they don't know and, what it is at all. Like, they're like, uh, uh, they think it's a drone. They, they can't, like, fathom this tiny object moving at the speeds that it is. So they think they're dealing with a hostile. And obviously it wasn't. It was Tony Stark. It got to the point where uh, Lieutenant Colonel Rhodey has to make these plans to take down this this whatever the hell it is. And Stark actually gets in contact with Rhodes and says, "Look, it's me. Get them off my tail. I am not. I am not against you guys. I'm only trying to finish what I have to do." And because of that, uh, Rhodes calls him off. Iron Man's able to get back to L.A. virtually unscathed, but by then. Stain knows the jig is up and proceeds to visit Tony Stark and takes his his uh, arc. What the hell is it called? An arc reactor arc reactor. Yeah, because from Obadiah has basically been uh, not only is he double dealing, but he's also trying to. Backwards, like backwards, uh, his way towards recreating what Tony built. But it was just the basic prototype, not the the one that Stark has obviously sat and worked on and has completely developed to make it even stronger and better than the original prototype was, which I love. I love that they get they get the best of what Tony Stark has, but Tony Stark has to give him the best that he has. Yes. Um, so so essentially, they essentially, he just tries to do what Tony did, but bigger and badder. And his is called the Ironmonger. Woof, woof. Doesn't have that same that same marketability. I can't picture an Ironmonger movie coming out anytime soon. So at this expo, it's similar to what the World's Fair used to be back in the 60s, especially the one that was in Queens in 1965. Uh, they they kind of do their own Stark Industries thing, and then these creatures take over as well as the Ironmonger and oh you're you're confusing you're confusing your iron man 2 with your iron man 1 damn it yes no okay uh you're there's there's a okay i got it i got it top my head i think i got it so there's this there's this big premiere they're doing something they're doing the premiere well no what happened here i'm gonna i'll set you i'll set you back so oh i hate it tony's just been incapacitated by obadiah who steals the arc reactor that's where you left off yes and he's gonna go power up his big prototype back at the Stark Enterprises like like lab. Yes. And at the same time, we get introduced to a uh, we've been introduced to a 
agent for an uh, agency called the, I believe it's the Strategic Homeland. Uh, wait, what did, what, what did they, I forget. It's a, they keep saying that's a mouthful. Yeah, you and, the, and they keep simpler. saying they're working on it. But if, I, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, version, uh, name that they go with for this version of uh, uh, the organization. Hold on. I, I'm going to try to see if I can remember off the top of my head. Okay, so it's strategic. I know it's Homeland because they didn't do Hazard like it's in the, in the comics. Uh, okay. Intervention. I think it's engineering and logistics division, but I might be off. Hold on. I'll check. Oh, it. We'll okay. Check this strategic <laughs> Homeland intervention enforcements where I screwed up and logistics division, otherwise known as shield. Which is incredible. And, and they're basically trying to get in contact with, with Tony Stark the entire time. Stark wants nothing to do with it. He just, he just blows them off. But Pepper Potts is involved with it, trying just to get the information down to get really get a discussion with Tony going. Yes. And because of this, uh, once, once the reactor is set off, you're setting for an ultimate battle between Iron Monger and Iron Man. And the one thing I did forget, because Elisa's final badass scene where they're brawling all throughout L.A., the one thing that I forgot to mention is that when Stark took the thing, for, took the initial suit that he created for a ride, when he got to, to a certain point in the air, the suit would get frozen because it wasn't used to that depth of traveling nearly to space. Yes. So with that happening, the suit would freeze, it would crackle, and you'd become an icicle, and you'd go all the way, drop right back down to Earth. So... Because that was the one of the great parts of the movie to me was they really kind of showed the iterative nature of building, like, you know, engineering and, you know, developing these technologies. So you go from big bulky armor to the shiny silver prototype version to the red classic red and gold we're all used to from Iron Man. And because of that, you know, it's his only real advantage in this fight with uh, Obadiah is because Obadiah is based off, you know, his older technology. So you get that classic line of, uh, how did you solve for the, how did you solve the icing problem? <laughs> and then what happened is Stane just goes right back down to earth. And it, it just leads to a point where he did, Stane didn't die, but he, they found a way to get in contact with one each other. Once again, at least at a final scene where, Stark kills Stain and calls it a day. And Tony Stark lives and everyone around LA is going, what in the fuck is going on? Because he barely makes it. They blow an EMP that almost destroys his arc reactor in his chest. It's unbelievable. And at the end of the day, Tony Stark lives and... You would think that's the end of the movie, but there's a few other points we have to touch upon. And there's a press conference the next day, and it's like the U.S. military is just is talking again about what's going on. There's another press conference, and as part of Stark Industries, Tony Stark gets in front of the press conference and starts talking. And in his own Tony Stark way, he ends the movie with obviously a bit of ego in mind as it comes to this announcement. He just goes, I am Iron Man. And the press goes nuts. And the movie... improv line. Yeah. That was improv? Yes. Originally, the movie was going to end as script, scripted. It was supposed to end with uh, Tony basically going out to do the, the, inner, uh, uh, the co- conference. And he was going to do the line about Iron Man. Because like, it basically was going to follow the comics. Iron Man was going to be his security guard. Basically. So yeah. they were going to do they were going to play that out. But then Robert Downey Jr. as the story goes pitched to Kevin Feige, uh, Feige the like dome like the major domo creative wise of Marvel Studios. How about if I how about if I just say I am Iron Man? Like that's a great like he pitched a button to the whole scene and it was they went with it, and 
lo and behold, a franchise is born. And that's and this is the thing that I love because there's obviously one more scene we got to discuss um, leading to the end of it. But this is what I love about when you're not overproduced, when you're basically running your own thing. Like Marvel was basically doing this on their own. So, you know, it's it's it. They're basically going sink or swim, hook or crook, uh, any of those things where it's uh, tomato, tomato or no, that wouldn't work. But <laughs> but, you know, like you would go in those routes. Where you, 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 you shouldn't, yeah. You're not beholden to the comics. They're, yes. They're, they're a good framework, but they don't, you're not, you don't have to one-to-one everything. And that might've been, thanks to Robert Downey Jr., like the best route they took was to not like, to not be beholden, like, like holy, like sacrosanct. Like you, you don't treat it like, irrefutable text you just crib it exactly and that and that's what i love about it like you make your own thing and with that one ad lib it literally in my opinion created civil war you know (laughs) so so it's it's incredible on on just like the guts it took to do that and i was all about it at the end i was pumped up my wife looked at me like dude you're right (laughs) I'm like, it was amazing. So then you get the, the Iron credits. Maiden plays. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you, the get, you get, yeah. oh, and then you get to Samuel L. Jackson. There are some mother effing snakes on a mother effing plane. No, I'm wrong gonna, music. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this out for you, sir. Yes, I saw yes, this please. when this came out in theaters. You did. And in the audience, we were all kind of like, you know, blown away. We're all like really like, you know, having a field day and nobody knows what's coming. So people are leaving. But I, I as a habit, generally tend to stay, you know, after the credits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's sort of a built in habit. I usually if I went to go with friends, I would discuss what we had just seen or family. You know what I mean? So. We get to the end of the credits, and all of a sudden, there's more movie. And <laughs> we're watching, we're watching, you know, Tony walk through a, a broken down version of his house. The lights are off, and all of a sudden, you hear someone talking in the background, and motherfucking Samuel L. Jackson walks on screen, and With he's an got an eye, eye patch on. An eye patch, my friend. So like oh. we're like no, like literally the whole audience is like no, and he's he t- calls himself Nick Fury and he talks about the Avengers Initiative and we all collectively lose our shit. Wow, you lost your nut, you lost your minds in the theaters, huh? Basically, everyone's like like it's like loud applause because essentially, like we. For all we know, this is just like, you know, the start of like, you know, an Iron Man franchise. But with that one line, all of a sudden, oh, my God, they're going to do an Avengers movie. You know what the one line I remember from watching it just at here that I watched and, I, and, I, and then it fully made sense into what le- was leading to everything was the fact that they actually said that Nick Fury said also, you're not the only superhero out in the universe. Which I love that line because it's just like, dude, you're not alone. You're not the only superstar on the block, you know. And and for 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 Robert for Iron Man, in a sense, that it, it's a little bit of an ego shock because it's like, damn, I thought I was the 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 guy. I thought I was gonna be the savior. Yeah. And it separates itself from every other, in my opinion. And if I'm wrong, please tell me. It kind of separates itself from like every other, you know superhero movie up until this point where it made it seem like they were the only ones that existed in the universe. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, he was the only superhero around. Like with Superman back in the day, he was the only superhero. Like Batman, you know, he was the only superhero who could save the day. The Hearing closest, that from, yeah. I would say the closest we ever got to this sort of like dialogue teasing of a crossover would probably be like the Joel Schumacher Batmans. Like Batman Forever talking about Metropolis being so many miles away. Batman and Robin talking about this is why Superman works alone. That's true. 
so up until then like no like we had never seen a potential for this to uh like grow and blow up the way that it did and so like this was setting the path and we were just our minds were blown because we were just expecting like oh this is just setting up the first iron man movie oh it's cute that they're talking about shield but we all forgot like we weren't all thinking like oh yeah that's right this is uh uh an i marvel owns so many other things maybe they're gonna thread the needle like no one no one knew about uh a phase uh, a phase of films you know what i mean yeah we were just assuming like oh it's iron man and then there'll be an iron man too like no one no one really kind of uh pins like anything on this and and that's what made what happens in the next episode with the next movie we're going to be talking about that's what makes what happens next even more insane because when you go to the incredible hulk at the time nobody was putting two and two together on that no one thought they were going to build off each other we just assumed that they were just individual movies. So what happens when we discuss the next movie, some of the things that happen in there are just going to literally cement in, in you know pop culture that they're going big. Marvel Studios is building to something. Which I also don't think has really been done in movie format, you know what I'm saying? Like using other movies to build to the grand Pumba, yeah. you know, like of, of movies, which has not, in my opinion, was never done before. Normally it's, it's TV shows and TVs always using, you know, the, so the small screen to build to, you know, episodes and an episodic television format. What Marvel studios did is took that TV format and built it on the big screen, which has not been done and which people I still think can't get a grasp of because Marvel, in my opinion, are the only ones, you know, to truly have done it. And obviously you've had star Wars, you've had back to the future, but those are sequels compared to what Marvel was attempting, which was taking the individual characters in, in, in their Marvel war in the Marvel comic universe, the Marvel's, you know, in the comic books and everything and actually applying them to help, build to the next thing yeah which marvel was actually incredible marvel was actually trying to translate their their storytelling process from the comics to the movies sure we can craft individual franchises but we can also mix them and mingle them and build to big crossovers like we do in the comics and like the fact that that was like starting that this Iron Man, the end of this movie just bursts that wide open. It was just like mind blowing. No one would have fathomed that as a possibility. And you make the point, and it's true. No one has been able to really kind of capture that. They've tried, you know, Universal tried with their uh, their Dark Universe with the the Tom Cruise Mummy movie, but that like failed almost immediately. Uh-huh. DC tried and they're still trying but they they went too fast too quickly and didn't really manage to drum up the same success that marvel did it's it's just like they they tapped a vein that no one no one knew about and no one was expecting and it's like to to swatch it again and to i'm looking i'm seeing like little bits of information that aren't going to pay off until future movies that I never noticed the first time around. There's stuff in, in Iron Man 1 that sets up plot points for Iron Man 2, uh, Shang-Chi, like we talked about. Like There's stuff that gets dropped, like little breadcrumbs that get dropped here that don't pay off for years. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, whew, so... Buckle in, folks. The NJU is here, and I am I'm invested. So Iron Man was a mind-blowing movie for me, especially 14 years after initially airing. Uh, it's a mind-blowing thing for me to have seen, and I, 
and I and I just remember I think I texted you. I'm like, dude, Iron Man was amazing, and you were you were stoked because uh, and I, you were like, let's do it. I said yes. When we got, I come back, we're gonna do the NJU, yeah. and Iron Man still I'm stands here. to me as one of the strongest films in the MCU, like through its entirety. It's still up there near the top of like my list, like doing uh doing the rewatches with uh Dritza, like I've literally been ranking as we go uh-huh. keeping like a running rank and Iron Man's still pretty damn high on the list. That's awesome. This is so freaking cool. Dude, Iron Man made your thumbs up. I loved it. It was the beginning of what we have today. So uh I can't wait to keep going with it. Um, so what's the next movie? Am I doing Iron Man 2 or is it the Incredible Hulk? Nope. T- t- if you got to be technical, and that's the best technical to be, because even though at the time it didn't feel like it had a lot of relevancy, as we've, even to this day, the Incredible Hulk is still very much in continuity. And it has, it's, has a lot of repercussions that are being felt even to this day in the MCU. So... Next episode, we're going to go to the uh, Louis Leterrier-directed Universal Pictures uh, co-produced, thanks to the fact that they still uh, they own uh, first, first look rights at any future Incredible Hulk movies. So we're going to be watching The Incredible Hulk. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. I can't wait. This is, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So... Uh... Thank you very much, Nick, for being the inspiration and helping me get to this point because uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And Iron Man was awesome. And I can't wait for the Incredible Hulk, man. Dude, where can we find you social media? Oh, you can find me on Facebook under Nicholas Fgata, R-E-I-G-O-T-A. Or you can find me on Instagram or Steam under the username Nick underscore at spelled A-T underscore news. Thank you very much, good sir. And by the way, let everyone know the Incredible Hulk that Nick is talking about is not Eric Bana. I just want to make mention. (laughs) Well, it's not even it's not even the Hulk that we'll all come to know and love going forward. This is the one-off appearance of one Edward Norton, and we'll get into that. We'll definitely get into that uh, next episode. Absolutely. Uh, You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the John Harder T H E J O N H A R D E R. Um, advertising concerns, hate mail, John at hardwayhq.com. Uh, you could check out, you know, all the other content we're putting out on hardwayhq.com. Uh, our YouTube channel, find us on hardwayhq there. You, we, we are looking to subscribe. Uh, we're looking to bring back unfiltered. We're going to do a new thing, uh, reviewing things. I got a couple ideas that I want to do. And lastly, uh, hardwayhq.com, the home of independent culture. With that said, for Sick Nick Regatta, this is John Harder saying thank you for tuning in to the inaugural edition of the NJU. Excelsior!